This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We are broadcasting out of Lonnie's Discount Muffler and Rib Studio in Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. Back from the weekend. Time to get the uh, week started with a fresh impeachment hearing out of the House Judiciary Committee. We uh, have been watching that off and on. Uh, it's still going. Not much to report here. Um, basically, uh, we're hearing testimony from House Intelligence Committee investigators laying out the case against the president. Uh, it was a stop and go hearing as Republicans tried to constantly derail procedures with points of order like this one from Congressman Johnson from Louisiana, which pretty much encapsulates the Republican strategy today. Mr. Chairman, point of order. Mr. Castor is recognized for 30 minutes. Point Mr. Order. Chairman, the point witness has violated Rule 17, and my point of order should be heard. Point of order. The, the witness has used language which impugns the motives of the president oh, and dear. suggests he's disloyal to his country, and those oh. words should be stricken from the record and taken down. Oh, my. The uh, point of order is not sustained. Witnesses are not subject to the rules of decorum. Appeal the ruling of the chair. <laughs> The hearing is the president's misconduct. The president and none of us should find it surprising hearing. that we are hearing testimony that is critical of the president. I do not find that the witness's comments are disorderly. I find they are pertinent to the subject matter of this hearing. The witness would be able to continue, except that his time has expired. Mr. Castor is Mr. Recognized. Chairman, it's not. Gentlemen, Mr. Mr. Chairman, my point of order is not that his words are disorderly. They are unparliamentary. They the, violate the rules of the House. He's not a parliamentarian, you dipshit. He's talking about the, the motives the and suspend. the character of the president the of the United States. Gentlemen will suspend. The motives and the character. Must impugn the motives in the character of the president <laughs> during his impeachment hearings. <laughs> Like, no matter how pathetic you think Democrats are for launching this impeachment hearing or whatever, and there's plenty of room to criticize Democrats, it doesn't even come close to comparing to the depravity and embarrassment on the part of Republicans during all of this. Yeah, I don't know what's worse, which is uh, when Democrats cling to civility and norms or when Republicans pretend to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that's what's going on in the House Judiciary Committee uh, today. If anything of more importance comes out of it, uh, we'll discuss it on tomorrow's newscast. Some hot news from the financial world. Our friends at WeWork are getting Drag a boost <laughs> from our friends at uh, Goldman Sachs. Wow. <laughs> SoftBank is perfect for each uh, other. engineering a $5 billion credit restructuring of the a commercial real estate company. It now owns WeWork because it failed under Adam Newman, of course, the previous dipshitted CEO. And uh, yeah, Goldman is injecting evidently $1.75 billion, according to Bloomberg, yes. into WeWork. I was thinking like they, there may be some ulterior motives here. Like, I, I guess I don't know what one point how much copper wire Goldman would be <laughs> entitled to strip from the buildings for one point seven five billion dollars or if this is just one of those things where like most major banks they just have uh too much money that they don't they literally don't know what the fuck 
to do with all the money they have. Yeah, I think it's the latter there. SoftBank is trying to get $5 billion for WeWork. Goldman putting forward $1.75 of that $5 billion. Uh, This was reported in Bloomberg, and I think my favorite line in the report was that SoftBank, in trying to encourage more people to lend money to this restructuring package, is listing itself as the co-borrower next to WeWork as the co-borrower. Just so WeWork isn't the sole co-borrower. This reminds me of like uh, when you're trying to rent that uh, first apartment out of college and you have to get your parents to like (laughs) put their line on it because you have no credit or any worthiness whatsoever. And also everyone in the town knows you for being a uh, like a drunk idiot. (laughs) And you need you need your your banker dad to come in and and help you out. Speaking of financial markets, Paul Volcker died today. Who rest in power, Paul? <laughs> he was ninety two years old. Uh, it doesn't say how he died, but when you're ninety two years old and you die, you know, take a pick. Anyway, he was chair of the Fed, Federal Reserve, of course, under Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan. In October 1979, he told a congressional committee that fighting inflation meant more for capital, less for labor. Well, not those words, but, quote, the standard of living of the average American has to decline. Paul Volcker. Uh, Those are his words. And he did it. He he, pulled it off. He did. Well, he had some help. Yeah. But he, he was there. As the New York Times reported, at the time, Volcker said he he made that assessment because, quote, because of the drain of American wealth to the oil producing countries, Americans would have to accept less. Well, the U.S. is now one of the world's biggest oil producers. And guess what? We're still being asked. Uh, rather, I should say we're being forced to accept less. So thank you, Paul, for your concerns. Of course, he, his legacy will long live after him thanks to the rule named after him and thanks to the fact that we will all still be forced to pronounce his name which is really hard to say with the letter combinations and because of the fact that every six months uh wall street lobbyists try to water it down a little more so it's all the volcker rule is all volcker 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 rule sometimes i try to get an extra l in there like volkler (laughs) It is, it is a it is a tough one. It is a yeah. tricky one to say. He was also, I guess, since we're on the subject, he was six foot seven. Jesus. And he liked to smoke cigars too. So I bet Bernie would still own him in basketball. Well, Bernie is like the Steph Curry. He's deceptively tall. He's like what six two, isn't he? Yeah, he's he's pretty tall. He doesn't he, and but he, he doesn't miss. Right, he doesn't yeah. miss. He's I don't got, think he's I've got the ever range. seen a video of Bernie Sanders missing a basketball shot. I will like every say, video of Sanders, it's him making like eight shots in a row. And yeah, he's usually doing layups or doing like a little three foot jumper or something like that. But I've still never seen the man miss. I, I was just I was just about to say that I'm a little skeptical of how much he relies on the backboard. <laughs> still, I've seen him do left handed layups off the backboard. It's impressive. All right. It's Monday, December 9th, 2019. Here's the news. Classified documents on the war in Afghanistan were published today by the Washington Post. 
They detail how the war has always been an aimless mess and that we have been constantly lied to since the start of the war. No surprises there. The Post obtained the files through FOIA requests on interviews conducted by the Special Inspector General of Afghanistan Reconstruction, or SIGAR, a constant feature in District Sentinel newscasts of past. Also, the Post issued its report through memos written by Donald Rumsfeld when he was George W. Bush's defense secretary. These were also obtained through FOIA, courtesy of the National Security Archive, which had to sue to get them, like the Post. As noted, none of this really comes as a surprise, though the, po though the Post unearthed some gems. In 2003, Rumsfeld said, quote, I have no visibility into who the bad guys are. We are woefully deficient in human intelligence. Reminder that the 9-11 hijackers, uh, most of them, 15 out of 19 of them, were from Saudi Arabia. They had pilot training in the U.S. I don't know, maybe invading Afghanistan. Maybe not the best response to 9-11. Maybe a bit of an overreaction. Another interesting moment from Rumsfeld's time at the Pentagon in 2006. He received two reports warning that the Afghan government was falling apart and that the Taliban were making a comeback. He chose to bury them and instead had his team write an op-ed praising the war effort for things like, quote, the number of Afghan women trained in improved poultry management and the increase to, quote, the average speed on most roads. Hey, let's not discount the Afghans' access to tendies. Well, which roads were excluded from the analysis that included most roads, it doesn't say. I'm guessing they didn't count the roads that were filled with IEDs. No. Maybe they uh, kept those out of the scope of the study. Moving on to the Obama years, U.S. officials became more competent and technocratic in their lying, especially about Obama's troop surge. One unnamed senior member of the National Security Council told SIGAR that there was heavy pressure from both the White House and the Pentagon to show the surge was working. Despite this, they said it was, quote, impossible to create good metrics. The official continued, we tried using troop numbers, trained violence levels, control of territory, None of it painted an accurate picture. The metrics were always manipulated for the duration of the war. End of quote. Even with these manipulated metrics, Pew Research shows the majority of Americans calling the war a failure as early as 2014 and a majority calling for troop withdrawal as early as 2010. Hmm. I'd like to know more about how the Obama administration whitewashed the war in Afghanistan. If only there was a former administration official constantly in the media running for president or something that should be pressed on this issue yeah in fact he uh he might not be at the top of the chain but maybe he would be i don't know at the vice top of the chain and he should be confronted about this might say the number two you might the war in Afghanistan has now dragged on for so long that this is basically the second major news story on classified war files in 2010, WikiLeaks published the Afghan War Diary, comprised of tens of thousands of incident reports detailing 195 previously unacknowledged civilian killings. As The Guardian noted at the time, the death count here was a vast understatement of previously unreported killings by NATO forces. Quote, many disputed incidents are omitted from the daily snapshots reported by troops on the ground. Private Johnson, be sure to report those war crimes, soldier. 
I think that's a good point that you mentioned on Twitter earlier today. And not to discount this report, it's always it's obviously important to see the evidence for these claims, but uh, not inspiring much hope that anything will change out of this, considering that we did get clear evidence of what a disaster these wars have been about a decade ago through WikiLeaks and nothing really came of it. Moving on, a mixed bag out of the Supreme Court. On Monday, the high court declined to take up a Kentucky anti-abortion law that requires doctors to guilt trip patients out of receiving an abortion. The Kentucky Ultrasound Informed Consent Act, as it's called, forced providers to perform an ultrasound on their patients seeking an abortion. It then forces the doctors to describe the ultrasound images to the patient and make the fetus's heartbeat audible so that the patient can hear it. It's a deeply weird law and one that was challenged by a host of advocacy groups alleging that it both impinged on the right of someone to undergo a constitutionally and legally protected medical procedure and that it violated the First Amendment speech rights of doctors. But the Supreme Court could not find the requisite four justices to take up a review of the matter, paging Justices Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Elena Kagan, Sonia Sotomayor, and Stephen Breyer. What you doing here? What's going on here? It is possible that they are they're concerned that their five Republican colleagues would uh, <laughs> would just rubber stamp and approve of that shit. Sure. Yeah. And the also, court- they're generally cowards. Well, Sotomayor isn't as much as the others. She's <laughs> she's all right, I guess. The court did announce in October that it would take up an adjacent anti-abortion case. Uh, they'll hear oral arguments in March. Uh, This is part of a review of a law in Louisiana that required abortion providers to also have admitting privileges at nearby hospitals, a regulation that could lead to the closure of most of the state's abortion clinics. So uh, the court will hear that case next year. In other matters before the high court on Friday, justices blocked the federal government from restarting federal executions upholding a lower court ruling that the death penalty procedures set up by Trump's Justice Department were likely unlawful. The administration was hoping to, starting this week, execute four men in federal custody. Law requires that federal executions follow the same procedures that the state where the inmate is held use. A district judge determined that was not the case here. The Trump administration did get a temporary victory from the high court, though, courtesy of the notorious RBG. She gave the administration a favor and agreed to block a subpoena that would have required a firm to turn over Trump's financial records to congressional overseers by tomorrow. Ginsburg's actions put a hold on that subpoena until Friday, giving the rest of the justices time to consider the administration's argument to kill off the subpoenas. Hell yeah, RBG. Didn't she make some joke during the 2016 election that caused everyone to say that she would have to recuse herself from every case involving Trump if he were elected or something? She should just recuse herself. Pro- proving, <laughs> proving them wrong by doing Trump favors. Yeah. Uh, finally today, the number of Americans foregoing medical treatment due to high costs is the highest it's ever been, even long before Obamacare was implemented. According to a new Gallup poll, one out of every four Americans reported not seeking treatment for serious medical conditions. It's the highest number ever recorded by Gallup, 
and that 25% jumps to 33% when respondents were asked if they or a family member had to skip medical care. And the number jumps even higher when broken down by class. Among households earning less than $40,000 a year, 36% reported not seeking medical care due to costs. That's roughly one, that's more than one out of every three people. It's a drastic 13% increase from 2018. Gallup first started asking this question back in 2001, when only 19% of respondents reported skipping medical care. So the number has gone up 14 points in roughly the last two decades, despite President Obama's signature health reform law passed in 2010. So fair to say that Obamacare, it didn't work. This is what access to health care looks like. This is what the liberal uh, uh, case for access to care looks like is you have to pay hundreds of dollars every month for insurance, but you still can't actually afford to get treatment. Yeah, it's it's maddening. Uh, the law didn't even narrow the health care gap between the rich and the poor. In 2003, there was a 13 point gap between people who made less than 40K and people who made more than 100K reporting missing medical treatment because of costs. By 2019, that gap had grown by nearly double to 23 points. The nation desperately needs Medicare for all. This is the system that uh, Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg love when they're talking about choice. This is the choice, having to make tough choices and not going to fucking see a doctor despite being in pain or despite being worried about uh, this lump or that contusion or whatever. God! On that note, folks, we're ending the newscast. Thank you for listening. Consider subscribing on our Patreon, patreon.com slash District Sentinel. Don't miss out on any of the bonus content we put out on the Friday subscriber-only show. Also, by subscribing, $5 a month, you get your own haiku written for you and read on the air. I'm going to read one right now. This one goes out to Frankie Knuckles. Welcome back, my friend. Unsubscribe, then resubscribe for a new haiku. Thank you, Frankie. Yeah, thank you, Frankie. Uh, We really appreciate your business. Call the rant line, 202-684-6108. Leave a message. We will play it on tomorrow's show. That'll do it for today. We're here in D.C., so you don't have to be.